we get older in life, we start to understand that we're really good at accumulating things, right? Uh, like, like, in like, even like the day to day, but also just like in life, like when you look up in your attic and stuff, uh, like we're good at like laundry, like laundry accumulates. It's never like going away. Uh, like dishes, like accumulate, right? And it's just like, it's not going away. There's always like more dishes. Like you just did them the next day and then like, boom, and they're there. And, uh, like things just in our life, like accumulate, we accumulate clothes. We accumulate, like if you're like me, like I accumulate coffee mugs. Uh, I have a lot of coffee mugs. And, uh, and then this past week, I looked in my closet and I was like actually getting like really frustrated. I was like, why do I have all these clothes? Like why, like why do I have things in front of my clothes where I can't even get to the too many clothes that I have? Like I have all this stuff, like I don't need all this stuff. And one of the things I kept moving around was, uh, was all my hats. Uh, I've accumulated uh, in 39 years plus one a lot of hats. Uh, and I don't really know necessarily why, and I, I don't always wear a hat. I do like hats, but, uh, and if you think I'm kidding, like, I'm not. I, I brought them all. Um, and uh, I, I had them in a whole bunch of different spots in my house, and uh, I've accumulated just a ton of hats. Uh, and some of them are the exact same hats. Like why I have two hats, like I, I don't know, uh, but I have hats. I like to go hiking. And so like, I'll go like Grand Canyon and things like that. Some are gifts, some are my dad's. Um, I have just a lot of hats. I really don't know where they all came from. My son's hat, a Super Bowl hat, my dad's college. Um, I don't, uh, I don't, uh, someone gave this to me. I don't wear camo, but uh, I went to uh, a, su uh, anyways, I have that. I don't really know why. Um, that one is my brother's. I stole from him. I wear that golfing, golfing. My kids made it, uh, plain ones. Um, so again, you think I'm kidding, but this is all from my closet. And uh, literally cleaned out my closet and had all of these hats. Now, you can judge me, but go to your house. <laughs> I bet you you have underwear from high school. Let's not, like, let's not pretend that I'm just the one preaching and laying my stuff out on the stage. At 39 plus one, however old you are, you've accumulated a few things. Like go up into your attic, bring down the Christmas decorations, and right behind them is a bunch of old DVDs. You don't even have a DVD player anymore, and you got a whole bunch of DVDs. We accumulate things. Now... Now, for now, we're going to have a real heart-to-heart -heart. at 39 plus one. Another thing that I've realized that I've accumulated over the years is sin. Now, that got deep, right? The, and the crowd went silent, right? Like, but we do, right? Like, as you get older, you realize that you don't have less sin. You're accumulating it, and it's building on, building on, building on, building on. And we accumulate more and more and more. And how do we get rid of it? How do, we, how do we write that wrong? How do, what do we do with that? And so we're in the book of Nehemiah, and we've looked at, hey, the first six chapters, they rebuilt the wall. And now in the, the back end of the book, which we're, we're in now, they're rebuilding the people. And what I want us to see today is that how do we confess sin, but how do we confess sin to a God that doesn't have any of this baggage, that hasn't accumulated all of these hats, if you will? Uh, he's the perfect son of God. And so what do we do? Like, how can we be uncomfortable with our sin, but yet comfortable to bring it to a holy God? That's what we want to look at today. And so we're going to be in uh, Nehemiah chapter 9 and chapter 10. And in chapter 9, uh, they went from celebrating. Last week, we looked at festivals and celebration. This week, uh, it opens up in chapter 9, uh, and they're in sackcloth, and they're in ashes. 
Uh, they're fasting. They're actually mourning. So the time to deal with sin, they said, hey, we're going we're gonna to put this off, but not put it off indefinitely. We're going to put it off for a time. And it's about 23, 24 days later. Now they deal with their, their sin. And so the Levites and like the, the holy people, if you will, they, they pray. And what we're going to look at today is the longest prayer recorded in the Bible. And as uh, the, the leadership prays, they actually have the people stand as they pray. And so that is why I say, let's wait to stand because I want to read us this very long prayer. It's going to take about three minutes, three and a half minutes. So just know that while you're standing, you'll be standing just for a few moments. But I want us to read this prayer and dissect it. On the, Q, on the screen there is a QR code. It will take you to Nehemiah chapter 9. If you want to follow along, you can. Uh, but we stand not because standing is holy. We stand uh, because we want to show reverence. Uh, and we want to show respect, but, but whether we stand or whether we don't stand doesn't make us holy or not holy. What it does is it reminds us of, of who we serve. It reminds us that we stand on the word of God. It reminds us that our God stands in victory. It reminds us that the, what we're reading is important because of the, how the Holy Spirit can use it and change us and use it to change our lives and things of that nature, all right? And so would you guys please stand? And I'm going to read uh, Nehemiah uh, chapter 9. I'm going to read the majority of it. So again, uh, stand, and if you need to stretch, stretch now, but uh, be careful, there's people next to you. So, all right, so all these leaders, it said, stand up, bless the Lord your God, uh, your God, from everlasting to everlasting. Uh, blessed be your, your glorious name, which is exalted above all the blessing and praise. You are the Lord. You alone have made the heaven and the heaven uh, and the heavens uh, with all of their hosts and the earth and all that is in it and the seas, and all that is uh, in them. And you uh, preserve all of them, uh, and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur uh, of the Chaldeans uh, and gave him uh, the name Abraham. You found his heart uh, faithful before you and made him uh, made with him the covenant to give to his offspring in the land of, uh, of the Canaanite, the Hittite, and the Amorites, and the Pezites, and the Zebuzites, uh, and the Gershites, uh, and you, I nailed all those, and, uh, and you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. And you saw the affliction of, your fa of our fathers in Egypt, and you heard their cry in the Red Sea. You performed the sides and wonders against Pharaoh, and all the servants, and all the people in his land, and you knew that they acted arrogantly. They demanded their own way and thought their way was better against our fathers. And you made your name uh, a name for yourself as it is to this day. And, and you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And then you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into the mighty waters. By pillar of cloud, you led them uh, in the day and by a pillar of fire by night into the light to light their way to which they should go. You came down from Mount Sinai and you spoke with them to heaven and gave them, spoke from heaven and gave them uh, right rules and true laws and good statutes and the commandments. And you made it known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded their commandments uh, commanded them commandments and statues uh, and a law by Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven and their hunger, and you brought uh, from for their hunger and brought them water and their and their rock in, uh, for their thirst. And you told them to go in and possess the land that you had sworn to give them. But they act, but but they and your fathers acted presumptuously. 
and stiffened their necks, not because they were old like me, but that's a different figure of speech. And they did not obey your commandments, for they refused to obey, uh, and they were not mindful of all the wonders that uh, that you uh, performed among them. But they stiffened their neck, and they appointed a leader uh, to return into into their slavery in Egypt. But you, God, were ready to forgive. You were ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You did not forsake them. Even when they made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt. How stupid. Uh, That's not in the text, but I said it. And and committed great uh, blasphemies. And you, in your great mercies, did not forsake them in the wilderness, a pillar uh, of cloud to lead them uh, in the way and did not depart them by the day, nor the pillar by fire by night for for them by the way by which they should go. You gave them a good, your good spirit to instruct them, and you did not withhold your manna from their mouth, and you gave them water in their, uh, for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out. <laughs> their feet did not swell. Who's looking good, God or the Israelites? Uh, and, they, and you gave them the kingdoms and peoples, and allotted them every, every corner. So they took possession of the land uh, of Shinon, king of, of Heshbon, and the land of Og, and the king of Bashan. Uh, you multiplied their children as the stars of the heaven, and you brought them into the land that you had told their, for, uh, their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went up and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites. You gave them into the land and with the kings and the peoples of the land, that they might do uh, with them as they should. And they captured fortified cities and a rich land. And they took possession of the houses full of all good things. Cisterns already uh, hen, uh, vineyards, olive oils, uh, fruit trees in abundance. So that they ate and they were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in the great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient. And they rebelled against and cast your law behind their back. And they killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn back to you. They committed a great, uh, their great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hands of the enemies and you made them suffer. And in that time, their suffering, they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, great mercies, you gave them uh, saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they, didn't, they did evil again before you. And you abandoned uh, them to their hand of their enemies so that they would have dominion over them. And yet they, when they turned to you and cried to you, you heard them from heaven and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. You warned them, or, uh, you warned them in order to turn them back to your law, yet they acted presumptuously. They did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, for which, uh, for which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And he turned to a stubborn shoulder and, and stiffened their neck that they would not obey. Many years you bore with them, and they warned them by your spirit through your prophets, and yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the land. Nevertheless, your great mercies, you did not make an end of them. Forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Now, therefore, God, uh, now, therefore, our God, the great and mighty, the awesome God who keeps his commandments and his steadfast love, let not all the hardships seem little to you that has come upon us. 
upon our kings, upon our princesses, our priests, and our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since that time, the kings of Assyria, until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us. You are righteous, for you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. Our kings and our princes, our priests and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. Even in your own kingdom and amid your, your, your great goodness that you gave them in the, land, in the large land and the rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked ways. Behold, we are slaves this day in this land that you gave us to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves and it is a rich yield that goes to the kings whom that you have set before us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On a sealed document are the names of your princes and our Levites and our priests. God, I thank you for this prayer. Lord, I thank you for the reminder that like the Israelites, not only have we accumulated personal sin, but Lord, we have an inherited sin, a generational sin that goes before us that we stand on. Father, I thank you, Father, for how you are presented in this text. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your kindness. I thank you for your patience. Father, as we reflect now and apply this to our personal lives, Lord, I I pray, Father, what Nicole said at the beginning of, of the worship set, Lord, about the goodness of God, Lord, would that shine through even in the backdrop of our great sin. Lord, you are good, even when we are not. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Thank you for listening uh, to me read all of that scripture. Uh, <laughs> Nehemiah uh, goes through all of this text. Uh, goes through, the, not Nehemiah, the Levites, I should say, uh, the leadership. Uh, he prays. They're dealing with sin. They, they, the time of celebration is done. Now they're, now they're dealing with it. And, and Nehemiah uh, uh, goes through and starts with the Old Testament. Uh, Chuck Swindoll, the way he breaks down in his book, uh, Pass Me Another Brick, I think is the title, uh, he breaks down this prayer uh, like this, looking back, looking up, looking back, looking in, looking ahead. Uh, if you've peeped the sheet on your, on your seat, you will see that. We'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, and so he breaks down this prayer like this. And so he starts with looking back and, and he looks back and he starts with God as creator. He talks about like what God did with the seas and creation and whatnot, which is such a good place for you and I to start. When we have something to confess, you and I both, need, we all need to remember that we are created and that he is the creator, which means that we are accountable to the creator. And so that's the reminder that we have. And then he goes to Abraham that, that God initiated a relationship with Abraham. Abraham didn't initiate the relationship. God did. And so then you go from Abraham, then you go to Moses, then you go from the wandering, then you go to from Egypt. And, and you go throughout all of this, and what you see, this common thread of rebelling, but God seeing people in distress and hearing and doing something. And so he brings them out of Egypt. He brings them into the place of wandering. And, and their feet, they, they didn't dry, their, their, their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. I have clothes that are 40 years old. And trust me, underwear wears out. Theirs didn't. Uh, and so God is providing for them. God is providing for them. God is providing for them. And they are rebelling, rebelling, rebelling. 
He gives them the law to say, hey, this is how you can please me. This is how you can honor me. It's not going to be a secret. And so he lays it out, makes it crystal clear like a good parent would do. And what do they do? They take it and they make a golden cow, calf, and says, this, that we, gold that we plundered from Egypt, this is what brought us out of Egypt. And they worshiped it like morons. And God is good and God is gracious. And through this whole time, like that's how God is being presented. Good, gracious, merciful. As I read that very long text to us all, like, do you want to be the Israelites? <laughs> but yet when we step back and we look at all the hats that are hiding in our closet, aren't we a little bit like the Israelites? <laughs> Again, but God was merciful, but God was merciful. And they were stiff-necked, they were arrogantly, they, they thought their way was better, they wanted their way, and God's way wasn't any good, so they were stiff-necked and arrogant. And, and, and as they needed, uh, God was providing. Uh, as, and as God was providing, they were rebelling. And as they were rebelling, God was providing. And eventually they were, they were given over to their ways, and, and that's where, that's where the, the leadership comes back to. And they're like, now we're in Assyria, or we're ruled by the Assyrians. Now we're in this land that should be fruitful. Now we're in this land that is really good, but it's not ours. We're slaves in this land. And as they pray this, there is only one request made in that whole prayer. God, as we historically have all of this sin that we deal with, you have been historically good and merciful. God, we're resting on that. In this, you have this awe of God and you have confession. You have confession that's taking ownership. You have confession that's not making any excuses. You have confession that's looking at historically what brings them to this place and they are owning it. What they say at the end is so good. God, your law, what you say, how to live, it's righteous. So for us, when we break that, you are righteous to do what you need to do when we break your righteous law. God, you are good. We are owning this and we are also resting and trusting in your merciful nature. Growing up, one of the things I learned from my dad, and I've mentioned this before, but it's a, it's a really tough thing to learn and apply uh, situationally. It's a great concept, but you know like those concepts in life that you're like, oh, that makes sense. But like, then you have to like live it out and you're like, oh, that sucks, right? Uh, and so like my dad would always say like, own your 1%. And I was like, okay. Uh, and so like as good little Christian boys, like we would get in trouble uh, in, in high school and whatnot. And in, if you're going to look from a worldly standard, we would get in a situation and uh, in the group, uh, we would have like 1%. Uh, and the other people would do like really, really bad things. Like we would do bad things, but like they would do like really bad things. And my dad would always say like, I will walk with you through this, but you're going to own your garbage as you go through it. I don't care if they're 99% wrong. If you're 1% wrong, you leave their 99% to them. You deal with your 1%, you own it, and you make no excuses for it. He would say that when my brother and I, uh, when we, the three of us were fighting, he was like, I don't care who's wrong. I just care that you own the wrong that you have in this situation. Own your wrong. Don't worry about the other person. Own your wrong and make changes and deal with it. And I hated it. Because for me, in the equation, I was, I was never 51 plus. I was always 50 or under. I never had the most sin in the situation, right? You get what I'm throwing down? And so it's always hard for us to see what we have to own because all we can see is what somebody else has to own. Jesus uh, 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 makes it very clear in the book of Matthew, his words in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is that we all have uh, things to own. Uh, that if you were going to put on a hat uh, representing your sin, 
Um, like one of the things he's like, hey, if you ever if you've ever lusted after a woman, you're like you've committed adultery. And that's a tough one to swallow. Uh, to to look at myself as an adulterer. Oh, the one that he the one that gets me is uh, if you if you look at angry on with anger on your brother, uh, then you've like you're a murderer. Uh, if you've gotten angry with anybody, and I talked last week about driving in New Jersey, so uh, everybody in here is a murderer. Uh, if you've looked with anger on your brother or sister. Uh, you are a murderer in God's eyes. And so in this room is a lot of convicted murderers. Uh, and so if I, if I was going to be honest with that, if I was going to write it, I hope I spell this right. Um, this is the hat I have to wear. And it sucks. And I hate it, right? But I got, I got a hat that's a liar. I got a hat that's a thief. I got a hat. I got a plenty of hats up here. That's awkward to put on. But what we want to do is we want to take the hat off and we want to put it in, in, a, in a box and hide it. And then we pick up another hat. And then we want to put that in a box and we want to hide it. We want to put that in, in, another, in another thing and then another thing and another thing. And we want, to, we want to keep shifting. And all it does is it keeps accumulating and accumulating and accumulating. And so what do we do with that? It's hard to own our wrong when all we see is the wrong in other people. But what this text is showing us is that we have to look deep within and own our own wrong, own our own garbage. And here's what we need to remember in, as, we, as we do this, is that Jesus so loved the world that he was sent by mission by God, his father, wearing a pure white hat, accumulating not anything like this. He, didn't, he wasn't sitting on a bunch of hats. He had a pure, righteous hat. And perfect love casts out fear. And so you and I need to get to a place where we are uncomfortable with all the hats that we've accumulated. Get to a place where we are good to bring it to God because of his mercies and his graciousness and that he so loved us in his righteousness and has given and offered us his righteousness. Does that mean that we can just keep these hats and just keep piling them on? No. It means we've got to live into some pretty big shoes, don't we? <laughs> so here's where uh, the text goes on. The text goes on uh, to talk about a bunch of names that make this covenant. And we'll get to that in a second. But a bunch of names that's like the leadership of others. And it's kind of uh, for you and I to represent the whole people. Uh, and then so later on in chapter 10, uh, verse 28, uh, I'll, I'll read just like two or three verses and then explain what is said in the rest of it. So again, if you're in the Bible, uh, turn to chapter 10, you'll see what I'm talking about. But in chapter 10, uh, it says this, the rest of the people and the priests and the Levites and the gatekeepers and the singers, uh, um, uh, the singers, the temple servants and all who had separated themselves from the peoples of the land uh, and the law of God, uh, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all uh, who, have no, who have knowledge and, underst and, and understanding, join with their brothers and their nobles and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in, the, in, the, in God's laws that were given to Moses, the servant of God, to observe all, that, uh, all the commandments of the Lord, uh, of our Lord, and whose rules and his statutes. And then they go on to make these commitments to God. So uh, it's this reminder that true repentance brings true change. That when we're truly broken over something, when we're truly broken, when like, man, like we read that text from Jesus and I have to see myself as a murderer, as awkward as that is, like, man, I, this has to make me uncomfortable, 
but I got to bring it to God and be, and be comfortable to approach the throne because of his goodness and his mercy to overwhelm all that is bad within me. And so there's this true change. And what they're saying is, hey, we broke that old covenant. We broke that old commitment. And, and now we want to make it right. And now we want to, we want to get back to that place. And so it's kind of like old covenant 2.0. And, and they're making this new promise with a curse that, hey, if we do this, if we do this wrong, that we're, we're kind of keeping curses upon ourselves. Now, a covenant is kind of a fancy word, and we were talking about that at staff meeting, and Laura was like, hey, here's a little definition of covenant, and I was like, oh, that's good, and so I'm not going to recreate the wheel. She probably stole it from somebody, too, uh, and so here's what, what Laura slipped me a note that said, covenant is a relationship between two partners who made, make binding promises to each other, who work together to reach a common goal. Covenants are different from contract because they are, are personal and relational, like a marriage is a lifelong faithfulness and devotional and devotion. Number one, can we all be thankful for Laura's penmanship? It is perfect. Uh, but this is a, a promise to each other. And so what, what Nehemiah and what the people do at this point it, with Ezra is they make this promise. Like here are the three things that we're going to focus on as we're moving forward and as we've owned this. The three things are that we're going to honor marriage. Uh, they got in a lot of trouble for intermarriage. That God would say, like, I don't want you marrying outside the people of God because uh, then you're going to start chasing after their gods. And they were like, no, we got this. We're good. We'll stay strong. And it never worked. Uh, and so uh, you, 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 if you've read your Bible, you've seen how that went wrong. And like they're saying, no, we're going to keep our marriage within the family of God. We're going to honor uh, the marriage bed. We're going to honor marriage and marry those within the family of God. And so they get back to that commitment. Then they have a faith-based Sabbath uh, and sabbatical. And so in the rest of the text, they talk about that. They, the Jewish people, they were so good at finding a loophole. Like, hey, we're going to honor the Sabbath, the seventh day. We're not going to work on the seventh day, but we need things. And so those pagans that can do things that we can't do, uh, we're going to buy from them. They're going to do the things that we can't do, and we'll just buy with them. And they're like, no, we're going to close that loophole. We're not going to keep doing that. We're going we're to be pure and holy on the Sabbath day. Uh, and they also talked about the sabbatical year, that every seven years they would not farm the land, which you and I might say, like, oh, that's not a big deal because we get to go to the grocery store. That's their livelihood. And so every seven years on the sixth year, they didn't plant any seeds. They trusted that God would provide enough for the seventh year to meet all of their needs, that they wouldn't die of starvation. This was a huge commitment. And so every seven years, they didn't farm the land, which uh, would have a three-year impact on their farming process. And in that seventh year, if you had any debts, outstanding debts, those were canceled. And so if you, had made a if you were indebted to somebody, they canceled that debt. It, the absurdity of what they were doing in the seventh year was really the absurdity of their faith. <laughs> and so they committed to that and said, we're going we're gonna to walk forward with this great commitment. And then they, they supported the temple. You can read that text, and they were giving oxen. They were giving shekels. They were giving of their first fruits. They gave a great abundance both to serve the temple and to support the temple uh, to, to make sure that God's house was holy and provided for. And you and I, uh, we, don't, we, don't have, like, we don't go to the temple. We're in the basement of an office building. Uh, but the body of Christ is the temple of God at this point. Your bodies are the temple of God. We're the temple of God. And so we're providing for God's, the body of Christ. We're serving the body of Christ. And, and so we get to do that in 2024. Three commitments to say, God, you are so good. We've screwed this up. And we're going to move forward honoring you like we failed to do in the past. So you and I are wearing murderer's hats. Your hats might say different things. I don't know, but it says something, right? You have, you have hats as I, as I have. 
a hat. What's on your, your head? Mike, can you come up here for a hot second? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask. I don't, know, I don't know what hat you... Well, here, put this one on. Just stand right here. Your hair is perfect. Turn around. Okay? So, so Mike has probably... We've talked about driving before, so I know Mike's gotten angry. So Mike, Mike uh, is a murderer, uh, according to Jesus. And uh, he didn't know he was going to come to church and have this uh, happen. Literally didn't talk to me before this. And, uh, and he's strong. And so I'm taking a very big risk right now. Uh, and, but, but if Mike's wearing that murderer hat, like, I could ask him to do this. Mike, put, put this hat on. Over this one? No, just put it on. Okay, I'll take this one for you. I don't have Okay, put this one on. You see the question that he asked? It was a relevant question. You see what he's doing? He has his hat, and he's not trying to do this. He's not trying to do whatever. Oh, this is a good. This is a good one. He's not trying to do that. He's not trying to put hat on top of hat on top of hat. What what are we trying to do with all the sin and our commitments moving forward? Our commitments moving forward. Sorry, Mike, about your perfect hair. We're trying to live into this hat. We're trying to take off all of our hats of sin, and we're trying to live into this hat. We're trying to live like this hat is the only hat that we wear every single day. Uh, Please give Mike a round of applause because he's stronger than me. (laughs) But this is why we have a value called daily surrender. It's that you and I are waking up every day to say, God, I'm wearing all of these hats, and I need to surrender it over to you. I need to live like this is the only hat for me. I need to walk in these shoes. This is daily surrender, surrendering over portions of our life to God and making that sort of a commitment. But this is also why pursuing community is important. I want to be in a community where I get to push you to be wearing this hat all the time. And I want to be in a community where you're pushing me to get rid of all of these hats and and push this and only have this hat. So many of us are, are shifting our hats around. We have, I had four different places in my house that all these hats were in. You would never walk into my house and realize all the hats that I have because I've hidden them so well. Many of us need to stop looking for an extra bin to hide our hats and we need to get a trash bag and bring it to the curb and just get rid of it and walk in this hat because that is the commitment of a follower saying, Jesus You came down, wore this perfect hat. You've offered me this hat. I've accepted this hat in faith. I have a whole bunch of sin, but I've taken this one, and now I'm going to live in this place. Because what's the big thought for us as we've walked through this with Nehemiah and the spiritual leaders of Israel and the people? It's that real sorrow produces real change. (laughs) It's that I'm getting rid of all these hats, and I'm going to live like this is the only hat for me. Last week, I, uh, I told you guys that I, uh, I really struggled uh, with some roid, uh, roid, uh, that's, I don't take roids, uh, that's, that's awkward, um, uh, road rage, not roid rage, uh, road rage, not rage, I just kind of got mad at somebody while they were taking a turn that they didn't use a blinker, I was like, use a blinker, right? And, uh, and it, I, I was thinking about that this week and all of this, and I have to say, uh, but wait, it gets worse. Um, <laughs> Uh, as I thought, because I was like, what day was that? And then I lined up the dates and a, a picture of my calendar. Uh, this hit me like a ton of bricks this week. Uh, so I met with Dr. Newenhouse, who's my counselor. If you ever see him and ask him if he sees me, 
He's like, I will never tell anybody I see you. I was like, well, I don't care if people know I see you. Uh, but I see Dr. Nunos once a month. I could do a mental health checkup, whatever. And, uh, and so I saw him at 2.15 uh, on, on that day. And then I went to corporate prayer at 6.30. And I was preparing the sermon. And, uh, and I got done uh, around noontime, which was like an act of God because it was I only had a few things. And, uh, and so I had this like random extra hour in my calendar to, to, uh, to just be with God. And so I was like, how am I going to fill this time? And I was like, oh, I read that book, uh, uh, Pass Me Another Brick, and I read that prayer that's on your, on your sheet, uh, on your seats. And I was like, you know, what? I'm going to take time to read this prayer and I'm gonna write out a prayer to God. So I got my tablet, I got a note, and uh, I wrote out those four sections and I started writing a prayer to God. And uh, my life is high strong. I, I felt like very exasperated. And, uh, and I got like, I don't know, like 30 minutes into writing a prayer. And I was like, man, like, God, you're so good. Like I was, it was actually really, really, really moving me. And then my tablet glitched out and it erased like 80% of what I did. And I got so erate because when you're exasperated, glitches feel like stitches. <laughs> and I wanted to throw my tablet through the wall. And I went, I was going to go to Dr. Newenhouse and he asks one question, only ever one question. I sit down and he says, how are you doing? And then 45 minutes goes by and he's like, all right, see you next week. Uh, not next week, next month. And, uh, and I was ready to go in and be like, I'm having a great time. Everything is good. And then I sit down and I was like, well, one hour before my stupid tablet glitched out. And let me tell you how my life sucks. Because <laughs> I was feeling exasperated. Seriously, it just glitched out. And I, I was writing a prayer and I wanted to freak out. And that carried over into the evening when I'm riding with my son, listening to worship music <laughs> and freaking out about a guy not using so what I thought, like, as a challenge for us today is that we would just pause. Like we said last week, to chill and to pause. I'm not giving you a tablet because it might glitch out. But I'm going to give you paper. And I'm going to invite you this week to write out a prayer to God. To use those four things from uh, Chuck Swindoll and in light of that prayer in Nehemiah 9 is that you would write out a prayer to God under those, under those four headings. And, uh, and then you would text it to somebody for accountability and get to that place, that last place, where, where the Israelites got to a place where they're saying, okay, in light of what we've prayed, here's what we're committing to, these I will type statements. I'm going to ask that you would look at this, pray this, write out the prayer, and then get to a place where you can make, uh, complete this sentence. In light, of, uh, in light of what the Lord is revealing to me in prayer, I will start or stop something. I'm committing to this. And then text it to a friend for a level of accountability uh, and whatnot. Can you guys do this? I think we can and I think we should. 